Well, hey there, and welcome to episode number 72 of Groove, the No Treble podcast, which you can always find at www.notreble.com. My name is Mitch Joel. Let's get on with the show. are you and what do you do my name is scott divine and i am a bass player i'm super kind of. <laughs> well yeah we'll talk about that i'm super psyched that you agreed to do this scott i've been i came back into this world of bass well now i'm going to say five or six years ago when we started the show and i'm like who is this person and why is it that because I've started doing some searches on base, I can't not see you anywhere. You have the most awesome, awesome retargeting system I've ever seen in my life, or I identified myself as a bass player and I can't, I could not escape anything related to Scott's bass lessons. So we're chasing you. (laughs) So talk a bit about where Scott's bass lessons are at now. Um, It's the biggest for sure, online learning or, or learning experience for bass players in the world. How, how big is this discernible market that you've captured? <laughs> you know, we're always trying to figure, we're, we're actually trying to figure out that in terms of like the market cap. But before we even go into that, Mitch, I just want to say on air, just a huge thank you to you because I've been geeking out on your books for so long and I've watched you so many times on YouTube. When we started this interview, I was thinking, I wonder if, I've watched you more than you've watched me on oh, YouTube. God. It's it's like I've watched a lot, you know, I've watched a lot. So I just want to put it out there. Huge thanks to, to all of the, the books that you've written, but also for your thinking and your insights into, you know, business and, and, and the whole thing. It's been really inspirational. So just wanted to get that in there it's before. Very, well, before you, t- I'll tell you a funny story about that, which is, uh, you know, that I speak at NAM, which I've yeah. done countless times over the years. And the first time I went, I was already doing Groove, this this podcast. And it was a very strange experience to be there as like the sort of person who's the speaker at a conference, but also yeah. the nerd who's like trying to meet all these bass players and get interviews. <laughs> and so I would sort of get brushed off by certain people that we both know, like, oh yeah, I'll call you or whatever. And then the next day, because like I'd be on the cover of the magazine as the featured keynote, They'd be Got like, who, what? Like who, I thought you were just, some, I don't, you know? So when my <laughs> worlds collide like this, it's always very, very special. And I don't think it's happened like this before. So, so I appreciate that. Thanks, Scott. Oh, amazing. Amazing. So, well, I'll go into it. How did I get into this racket? So initially I, you know, was just a young kid into music. I'll give you the brief backstory because it's just, it'll help for context. Yeah. So yeah, just, you know, geeky musician kid played guitar and did relatively terrible. <laughs> I'm pr- being pretty kind with that. Um, yeah, terribly at school, wasn't particularly motivated, but just absolutely loved music. But I was lived in such a small town that I really didn't see uh, being a professional musician as an option. It just didn't even exist. The closest that I understood to that was people that are on TV and famous, you know, I didn't even understand what a professional musician was and the, the career counselor at school definitely didn't know either. So I was, you know, having no, having no help there and ultimately dropped out of school early and was lucky enough to land myself with an apprenticeship making basses for a great company called Overwater guitars and basses. So did that for a few years, like two or three years, 
and ultimately was a terrible bass maker but um because i'm just i'm just not handy like just side note that my wife does more diy in our house than i do i'm pretty much banned it's a miracle you you have all your fingers still is that what you're saying absolutely yeah (laughs) and and while i was being a yeah because i was working with bandsaws and routers and all kinds of mischief so but i did that for two or three years and through that process the my boss at the time was really entrepreneurial and because obviously he'd built his own businesses. He had his own, you know, guitar making business or bass making business as it were. And, and through that experience just kind of opened my eyes up to two particular things. One, what it is to be an entrepreneur and, and the, the, I suppose all of the doors that are open to you that you've, that you've just not seen all of your life. You know, you just had been, you know, head in the sand or not really head in the sand, just, you know, you had a blindfold on almost. And when I met him, it was just like, holy crap, you can actually control the direction of your life and you can manipulate it to what you want it to be. And that just blew my mind because I was, you know, I had, you know, an interview to work in a factory when I was 16. I'd come from that background. So Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the first thing that it did. And then the second thing that it did, it introduced me to, uh, some really fantastic professional musicians who were coming to the workshop to have instruments built. And I was like, Whoa, you can play music for a living. This was just <laughs> mind blowing. And also I should say the third thing at, th- at that time as well, I was a guitar player. I'd never really played bass and it really turned me onto the bass because Chris, um, the, the, the founder of Overwater Basses, he was really nerdy about, you know, Jaco Pistorius and Weather Report and um, Brand X, you know, with, sure. Phil, with Phil Collins playing drums and Percy on bass and all of those, you know, all of those old fusion records. And they there wasn't actually that much guitar on them. So I just gravitated to thinking, hey, this bass thing, it's pretty cool. And I've never really listened to the bass before. So took a bass home and and then became a bass player slowly became a bass player and within a few weeks of of having the bass at home being a bass owner not a bass player because i was definitely a guitar player for a good few (laughs) years after after i owned a bass i was definitely still a guitar player um after a few weeks i randomly got a an opportunity to get a gig in a theater band playing bass it's a it's a convoluted story, but ultimately I was nowhere near good enough to get that gig, but the guy had health issues and I ended up getting that gig full time. So I went from not owning a base to owning a base. And within a few weeks of that, I was playing in a theater full time every single night of the week, except Mondays. I think, I think we have Mondays off. So I worked during the day making bases and then I played bass every night in a theater band and the theater band was doing, it was really, it was doing musicals. It was doing like everything, you know, um, hits from the sixties and the seventies, eighties, nineties. Were you skilled in theory at that point? Could you read? Were you doing it by ear? How are you doing that? Um, I could, I could read treble clef, but I couldn't read bass clef at all. Okay. So it was, it was a thing. <laughs> it was yeah. brutal. You know, yeah. I just, dedicated all, all my time to just learning the tracks and just learning how to read bass clef and hoping that I wasn't going to get fired and just, you know, somehow scraping through by the, by the seat of my pants and, and ultimately got that gig full time left Overwater to, to just really focus on my playing. And then that gig ended. And then within a few weeks of wondering what I was going to do, got offered another gig which was going away on the cruise ships and that and that was my first realization that what i I can you know travel around the world and play music and get paid for it like this was just blew my mind right 
surely this doesn't exist so did that you know when did uh, cruise ships and learned how to read properly doing that you know we were playing seven nights a week um five to six sets a night for seven months was my first contract it was it was brutal but it was great that was my university really so i learned to that's where i learned to play that's where i learned how to play jazz standards that's how i learned to read that's really where i learned to play and again um just for context i was nowhere near good enough to go on that cruise ship the only reason that they took me on there is because that they were leaving in a week and the bass player that was supposed to be going dropped out last minute. And they ultimately, I went for the audition. They they were just like, no way can you do this. You, you, they were like, what jazz standards do you, do you know? I was like, what's a jazz standard? Oh, okay, well, read this chart. Well, I'd only been reading the charts, the same charts for the last, you know, year that for the for the theater band. So I didn't really know how to read charts. So it was just a disaster. This, they, the, the musical director kicked me out of the room, literally kicked me. It's like, go home. This is, I'll, you, you, this is a joke. So I drove up the motorway, the, you know, the freeway, got home. It was like a three hour drive. The phone rang. I picked up the phone. It was the musical director. And he said, you're coming on this ship. But he said, but be under no illusion that I think that you're going to get sacked within the first few weeks. But he said, I have no other options. He said, so are you going to do it? And I was like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, I got, so I got on that ship and, you know, and, and then just, and then basically that was the, really the launch pad for everything that I did after that. So uh, really focused on my music, got really into playing, discovered jazz in a big way. Um, studied with whoever I could study with because I couldn't really go to music college because I was, you know, on the ships and stuff like that. So ended up getting lessons from Gary Willis and traveling to New York and getting lessons wow. with Scooty Saracen from the Alan Holdsworth band wow. and got some lessons with Adam Rogers, the fantastic guitar player, got lessons from uh, the late, great Jeff Andrews. You know, I can remember hanging out in his apartment and his cats crawling on me and I had really bad <laughs> asthma. That's like, great. Please get these cats off me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and just, you know, and just, it was a, a continuous, just, just continually improving and continually and putting myself in situations where I got to play with great players. And ultimately through that over a few years, ended up playing with some fantastic artists and being a musical director for some like theater shows and traveling around Europe and doing the whole thing. And that was mm-hmm. a really like the fast forward through sort of like 13 years of my life no, to it's around great. It's great. 40 years old. And then I got this thing called focal dystonia, which is what, what brings me to what I do now, which is running Scott's bass lessons, which is an online learning platform. The reason why that came to be is that I was a full-time pro musician and musical director um and as you can probably tell it's the only thing i ever did and was ever good at (laughs) (laughs) so i got a neurological movement disorder that's that attacks the brain um and and for me affected the movement of my hands which you can imagine is just pretty detrimental as a bass player and ultimately it got worse and worse over a few years to the point where i just couldn't play at all um not even a major scale not mary had a little lamb nothing couldn't play so i had to take a complete hiatus i took six months off and really, just for the first few months, I suppose, just wallowed. <laughs> I was going to say, depression and YouTube are a great inspiration, I guess, in this in this case. <laughs> yeah, well, I just wallowed in, in, in self-pity for a, a few months. I didn't know what YouTube was. I didn't own a computer. And a friend of mine 
Um, let me just rewind a little bit. I figured out that I could play a little bit, sort of like 10 to 20 minutes a day if I wore gloves because it tricked my, it's a sensory illusion. It tricks the brain into thinking that you're not playing bass. It's a, it's, it's convoluted. So I won't go into it too much sure. without talking about medicine and stuff like that. Um, but it's, yeah, but I, I figured out that gloves, um, could help me play for 10 to 15 minutes. And I had no income at the, at the time. I had a mortgage to pay for. So I thought, well, maybe I can, maybe I can teach because I can sit there with a student for like an hour and I could teach and maybe not have to play any more than 10 to 15 minutes per lesson. So, you know, maybe I could get a lesson a day or something like that to help pay the mortgage. And through a few conversations, somebody was like, Hey, you should check out YouTube. You know, there's, there's some people you know, teaching on that. And I said, well, what's YouTube? And they were like, YouTube, right? You've not checked this out. You can check out all of the old concerts that we used to love when we were kids. They're all on YouTube. I was like, what? He was like, go get on the internet. What year was so this, Scott? Like, what year was this? 2005? <laughs> six? 11 years ago, 12 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So like, yeah, I should have been on the internet, put it that way. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so... I ended up going to their local internet cafe because that's the only way that I could get on the internet and, and sat there. And I can remember the guy in the internet cafe just kind of, sort of like showing me how to get on the <laughs> right. internet and, and discovered this thing called YouTube. And after, you know, sitting there for like 30 minutes, I was like, nobody's really teaching on here. There's some people doing some cool stuff, but nobody's really teaching on here. And, and obviously teaching within a, one area within one city is limited in terms of the amount of people I might, I might reach. Maybe I should put some lessons on YouTube and offer Skype lessons. So that's what I did. So I started putting YouTube lessons on, um, it's a YouTube lessons onto YouTube, obviously lessons onto YouTube. And, and I can remember doing one video per month. And I thought that that was a lot of work. <laughs> I can remember, I'm on fire. <laughs> <laughs> superly yeah you're totally oh, in it so yeah. productive and uh and and did that for about a year did some skype lessons and stuff like that and then i was on youtube and, and bought bought a uh bought a uh, uh, imac actually well, my so, yeah, first computer. i'm curious about that that story and I, i'm i'm going to interrupt because i think there's stuff that uh, that people want to know i've watched the videos talk about what what you were going to do, like what camera did you use? Like what, what setup like in your brain, did you like test it? Or were you just sort of like, I'm going to selfie this? Like, how are you thinking about it technically even? I just, I, I just come from such a non-tech background that I just did the bare minimum. I got like okay. a flip, flip camera. Come these sure. flip oh, yeah. Cameras. They were great. The flips. Yeah. 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 I got it had like a USB thing. You'd plug in the USB thing after. Yeah, like yeah. wind it up on the side. Yeah, exactly. Basically. <laughs> so I got one of those flip cameras and that was it. That that was all Amazing. I had. So I just, you know, did. And then I can remember I bought this iMac and had to figure out, I yeah, iTunes, not, not iTunes, iMovie to edit it. Yeah. And then I had to figure out WordPress. That was a whole oh thing. God, that yeah. was two weeks of my life down the toilet there. <laughs> so, because I just came from a, such a non-technical background. So did that registered the URL, scottsbassessence.com. So all of that was just sort of like random, just accidents that happened really. And, and the key piece to it, the re, the, the thing that actually started moving the needle is that I was looking at a, a bass players YouTube channel one day. And I think that you can still do this, but you can see what YouTube videos they've been watching. So he'd been watching some online business videos. It was like how to create an online business. I was like, well, I'm trying to teach on Skype. 
I'm going to click that. I'll watch that video. So I clicked that video and it was a one hour video of a guy breaking down how to, how to run an online information business, everything from it's really important to build an email list. Here's what an autoresponder sequence is. This is why you should have a product suite. This is why you should have recurring revenue built into that product suite. So it was an hour long, mind blown. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I can do this. And then, and from, and that video was basically the start to like, that's why I'm here today. Like because of watching that video and then just geeking out on every online building business video <laughs> that's on the internet. Like I must have watched thousands of hours. Well, clearly you uh, did uh, if you actually wound up also reading my books. Cause <laughs> and your, yeah, book, like your book, Seth's books, Seth Gordon, you know, yeah. like all of the books <laughs> I've read all of the books and I've watched all of the videos. But that's the thing that makes your story so fascinating to me. It's the fact that because of what I've done professionally for a living, I don't just see the product. I actually really understand the mechanisms and complexity mm-hmm. behind it. And that's why when I started this conversation, my first sort of, oh, I want to know is what is the infrastructure like now? Because when I look at it, it's easy to go, oh, Scott's bass lessons. And he sits down with Billy Sheehan and they just... Re- and I know that that is, there is a massive, it seems to me like there's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes. There's a lot of moving parts. So how, many pe- how many people? There's so many moving parts. There's 30, 30 full-time people yeah. and, like a, and a bunch of contractors. So, and that, that has drastically gone up over the last 12 months, actually. Right. So up until 12 months ago, it was um, maybe coming up to 15 people but over the last 12 months we've been hiring a lot because we've just seen massive growth through what we've been you know and i think that in part that was part of us dialing in the business model understanding what the customers want what the students want you know and really understanding the full ecosystem and then and then just really having the confidence to actually you know i brought on some key people as well brought on a fantastic operational director um brought on a like a yeah cfo so he really understands the finance side of the so we understand where to invest in the business whereas before i was like you know just coming at it as a bass player i was like i'm really into it i'm building this, this business but i didn't really have the deep business knowledge that i really needed to to have to have the confidence to actually sort of like start investing and scaling the team so over the over the last year we've definitely scaled up and brought some really key people into the mix which is huge like paid off hugely yeah. and we're just you know over the last three years we've doubled every single year we've grown 100 percent in the last three years now ultimately we have actually been around for around 10 well maybe like nine years i think we've been around now um, but for the first four or five years of that it was just me finding really finding my feet for the first two years it was me tr- kind of teaching on skype and then after that it was you know correspondence lessons and stuff like that and then i was selling a few digital courses and then four four years ago we started the the first you know the recurring business model where it's like a membership that's when that that kicked in and i went through various wow ups and downs of learning how to work with designers and developers and it was such a a crazy learning experience for me that it was it was it was bumpy you know building that team and it was bumpy and there was there was definitely hurdles to get over but just over the last 12 months and bringing in this like a really fantastic team and it's just the you know it's it's changed i'm like oh i get it now the team's everything (laughs) i really need to build a really fantastic team 
you know, I've been around people who built online courses and do this for 20 years. And I know for a lot of people, this sort of writing, scripting and producing of it is a ton of work. It's a ton of work to get it to a place where someone sees it and goes, I'll take that. I'm going to sign up for it. You said something earlier where, you know, we're listening to what people want and how does that work? Because as somebody who understands the mechanics of it, you are sort of building a course. And when you say what people want, it's not always easy to go, well, they want this. I'm just going to record that. And like, it's very hard to do that because it breaks up the flow of what somebody needs to go through sort of more chronologically, I guess. So how do you, how do you do that and react in a world where video production isn't like this stuff isn't easy to just sort of go poof, we're going to do this. And it happens. Yeah, well, a lot, a lot of it is like looking at data, looking at how people are, you know, viewing the videos, what's working, what's not working, which videos are retaining viewership, uh, and all of that good stuff. But then on there's like anecdotal evidence, and then also there's just speaking to the actual students and just saying what's working for you, because sometimes what might be retaining viewership might not actually be educating them that well, you know. So there's so many nuances, little nuances in there that we find um, that that we're really trying to lean into actually at the minute. We've actually just hired a product manager in the last month to really help us focus on that because I job posting for that. I was, I was curious. <laughs> yeah. Well, like personally, I just think that, I think that music education online, specifically online music education, I think that it's, it's in its infancy. Right. So I think that we lived in a VHS world where people, you know, learned from Hotlicks or REH or Starlicks, I think they were called, you know, those those guys and you bought the VHS videos. And then when we went online, that really just transitioned online. And it's still that model, which I think is cool. And I think there's room for it. And I think there's a need for, you know, the, the star power and the, those fantastic classes with artists, you know, like Billy Sheehan and all of these fantastic guys, right? Um, I think there's a need for it because I think it's really inspirational and I think that it does play a strong part in educating. Okay. But there's another part of, of the educational process that I think that's just not being developed and innovated enough, specifically online music education. And where I think that it's how do we act like really educate people? So when you get a concept and that, that that's broken down and, and then it's packaged up in a way that the student can understand it and knows how to like systematically get it on the instrument and start using it bit by bit and apply it in, in context, using it within context. And then also the added complication is, and wh- when do you introduce those concepts to a student? Right. Like that's it's, the thing. it's yeah. a whole thing. So, and I'm not, I'm not sure that we're, you know, we've, we're developing, and obviously you know this, we're developing this thing called Player's Path. So curious um, about it. Because I saw yeah. it and I was like, oh my God, this looks exactly like how we should learn online. I think it is. But what we did initially is like we released an MVP of it, even though it took, you know, like 18 months to develop because it's, you know, it's just a whole thing. You know, you need to, to get, uh, we've got, like, we're coming up to 25,000 members. We'll be at um 25 i'm looking at the like, october now so we'll we'll be hitting about by the end of november we'll hit about twenty seven thousand um current students and just to put this in context this is pretty crazy that that is in terms of online music educational platforms that's actually the biggest in terms of all instruments it's mind-blowing to think about because of how we think of the bass in, in the world yeah. But I have to tell you that I believe it more now that I've started following Davey 504 on YouTube. 
Mm. You know, if a guy like that can have eight point whatever million subscribers and have in my brain, crazy, it makes right? me realize yeah. how big the discernible market is. I really thought base was this tiny little thing that nobody cares about, but nerds like you and me. Yeah. It's so it's hard amazing. to find out what the, what the actual size of the market is. Yeah. It's really hard on the guitar side as well. You know, I've talked to the guys that are, you know, running those platforms as well, you know, true fire jam play guitar tricks and, and, you know, and those guys, uh, and everybody's like, how big is this market? You know, there's, there's some data online, but it's really actually hard to, to pin down. But do you think that it might be the size it is for you because there's so much on other instruments in places like YouTube and other platforms? And the truth is, as much as there is on bass, there's not that much comparably to other instruments. So people intuitively go, I might as well pay for this type of quality because it's probably the only thing. Yes. I, yeah. I think that that's part of it. I think it's a multitude of things. And over the last few weeks, it's over the last few weeks that we realized we, we got the data in and that, that, that showed us that actually we had in terms of like online subscription model, educational music, we were the biggest out of all of the platforms. And we were just like, whoa, this is, because we, we imagined that everybody was like way bigger than us. We were like, whoa. We're, right. Yeah. You think you if know, base is 25,000, everyone else is 180,000. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that brought me to exactly what you're thinking, you know, your line of thinking. But then it also made me think that. Well, if you divide all of the subscribers up across all of the guitar platforms, surely that should equate to you know hundreds of thousands of players, but it doesn't. So I don't get it. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's a multitude of things going on, you know. I'm sure that I, I think I there's know. also pro- <laughs> you know, I think there are some interesting factors that that speak to why I do a show like this and you do what you do and you do shows like this too, which is in any given city there's probably not that many bass teachers but there's probably a million people who are teaching Like, so I also think that part of it is that people are driven online because of their lack of it locally. I mean, the reason I have these conversations is because, I mean, yeah, I know some bass players locally, but it's not like there's these communities. There's not these, especially where I live in Montreal, there's not like, you know, bass expos and stuff like that. And to this day, I want that to be though. Like I want, yeah. I mean, look, they they have them in London, they have them in LA, you know, And even, you look, we, we both walked the floors at NAM where, you know, bass is small. So I think part of it is also like it, it creates this sort of headwind towards someone like you, I guess, which is great. Yeah, it's definitely paid off. It definitely pays off. It's great. It's great to be the, 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 the you know, behind a company that, that is doing this. And, and with the, just bringing it back to what we talked about earlier with Players Path as well, and just like trying to innovate within the education space. I think that, you know, we did an MVP version of what we, what we, where I envisage it going. And I think that there's a, it could twist and turn, you know, as, as we go down this path. But I think that ultimately, an educational platform should meet players where they are and be able to evaluate them in a way that feel makes the student feel understood and great, you know, sort of like, Oh, here you are. And, and we're going to meet you where you are. And we want to get instantly. We want to find out what is, what kind of learner are you? Like, what do you want to learn? How do you want to learn? And then put them in front of the materials. That's going to do that. I think that that absolutely need, needs to take place. And that doesn't happen on YouTube at the minute. So I think that, um, YouTube, like I absolutely love YouTube, but I think that it, in, in some ways it throws people all around chasing around, you know, the next, you know, the next shiny, shiny object instead of really focusing on what they need to focus on to get that movement in their plane. 
also, but you know, to put in the mix as well, some people want to do that. Some people want to cruise around content, and I think that, like, I'm definitely, I want a bit of both, and I think that it's important to, to have both as well. So I think that in terms of our platform, we're going to try and develop both as well. So we've got, you know, things that people can dip their toes into and just geek out on, and and all of that side of the of the um, of that plane. But also on the flip side, be able to put them into a a more structured curriculum so they can really focus on where they are right now as a player and get introduced to educational concepts that suit where they are right now as a player and how we're doing that. There's a bunch of ways we're doing it and it's going to get more sophisticated. But so, yeah. so tell me a bit about that. If someone is familiar with what an online course is, and again, I'm excited to talk about Players Path, not because I want to create a commercial here, but because I'm genuinely interested in how we learn and how we can learn. And when I saw this, being more of a marketer, I saw that there's, it feels like there's a gamification and sort of badges and it's exactly at, about that. Yeah. Discernible levels versus a lot of times you take lessons and you just go, well, there's 40 more and it's extremely yeah. overwhelming. Like I take, you know, I'll watch the master classes and I love them, but there's like 25 chapters and I'm like, dear Lord, like when will this end? So exactly. talk a bit about what it is in terms of like practically I log in, what am I looking at? What do I see? How is it different? What is my experience so that people can understand how you really are reworking how we learn this instrument? Yeah. So when people log in, they obviously log in and players path is a nine level system. I mean, let me just sort of like back up one minute because it's, I'd love to take the credit for this completely, but it's actually, it's taken from a system that's, you know, a hundred, 200 years old that's used within Europe called the, the music grade system. Okay. And everybody that learns any instrument in the, the UK and a lot of Europe um, and over in Australia, New Zealand, they go through this grading system. And if you go to a private tutor, you're going to go through the grading system. So all the private tutors, all the schools generally use this grading system, which is an eight level uh, grading system. And it's based on performance. And within each level, you have multiple pieces that you can learn and you can choose from. And in general, depending on what um, educational board that you, you're studying with, you choose three pieces within each level. You learn them, learn, you know, and they're, they're, they're full projects. You know, I can remember doing this as a kid and it took, you know, three to six months to learn these three tunes because they really pushed your ability. And there was like all of these juicy nuggets that were going to, you, you know, that you're going to learn and then you're going to take that. Wow. You're going to see a real lift in your imp improvement as a player and then you can be ready for that that next level. It's kind of like the belt system for karate in a way. I was going to say, like if nine, it sounds like yellow to black belt. Yeah, it totally does. It's exactly that. Yeah, it's exactly that. So what I thought, and it does work really well. It does work really well. Not, I don't think, ultimately, I don't think that it's the, o the only thing. I think that you, you need um, other educational input around different areas but what it does it really gives you some great structure so if you have that it's a big piece of the puzzle that's solved as a student as a young kid you know you're going to go you, you always know where you are as a player I'm a, I'm a yellow belt i'm a green belt i'm a purple belt where am i going i know where i'm going right and going, going for the next brown belt. and being someone who's who spent a lot of time in the martial arts i can tell you that you don't look at the black belt as the pinnacle. You're actually really focused on mastering your level, which makes it more digestible. Just like any yeah. learning system. Like if I can just do this versus that sort of big thing of trying to finish all of this, it's, it's a, it's a massive difference in how we learn for sure. 
I think it re- removes like a certain amount of anxiety as well because yeah. it, it it's just like where am I as a player? What like what what do I do next? Well, <laughs> here's what you do next. You're like you're like you're level three, so let's move on to level four after you've completed that. So so why I did is get that concept, and I thought it's a great concept. Why can't we have this online? Why can't we have a level system that gives people exactly that, but try and instead of going to a tutor to work through these these materials we produce these really fantastic videos that anything from you know 20 minutes to some of them when you get into the higher levels some of them are going to be like 40 minutes long because these pieces are really really tough and there's like improvisational sections and you're going through seven eight to four four and you know and so i need to i break them down bit by bit so the student can work on that piece for you know one to two to three months until they can perform it and then they can move on to the next level so when people log in what we what we get them to do is self-identify so we give them they go through a survey to self-identify where they are as a player and we ask them various questions um to do that and then we introduce them to a level hey it looks like you're a level four player but if we got it wrong it mean they can still level down they can level up they can bounce around but ultimately they're going to find out where they are in terms of performing which is ultimately what we do you know there's too many guys out there that know all about melodic minor scales but can't play them right or can't apply them i'm really really like just focused on dudes we've got to be able to play <laughs> you know that's, yeah, but, that's uh, we... the, but this is the thing too like when fender released fender play i was mm. really I actually used it as a case study in my in my uh in my presentations that i do for business because what i like about it and what i'm hearing you say too is the truth which is especially when you first pick up an instrument if you're not playing a song out of the gate you're never going to stick with it and the yeah, more you play yeah. songs, at least from my experience when I did play, and I don't play that much now, it was driven by, I had to learn this song. I had to do this thing. I got to do that. That's what propelled me forward. And I think that yeah. when we started worrying more about scales and stuff, I did. I sort of got a bit more like, okay, not really what I want to do. How do you play that song? How do you play this? How do you slap? How do you? I was more into that. So I think it's, it's spot yeah. on. It's a very cool idea. Yeah, and what and and just side note, like I think Fender Play have got it dialed in. I think they're actually really so good. good. And, and just yeah, just sort of like a shout out to Andy, Andy Mooney as well, who's the CEO. I think that he's had a a big uh, impact on on just the, the whole sort of like feel of Fender and what they're doing. And I actually met Andy. Um, he reached out because when, just before they were launched Fender Play, he wanted to talk to me to just you know kind of you know just sort of like check in and just talk about. Uh, online education and, and where they were going with it and they were totally open about it. i was totally open you know there wasn't any sort of um secrets going on he was open that he was going to do guitar and bass and um and ukulele and but he was he was really fantastic and really dialed in really well, dialed in that guy's an impressive guy well, i also like any brand that has a product that can develop a digital service on top of it, that gets me really yeah. excited. Like just as a business person, I'm like, and if you think about where we're at now and we're recording this during COVID, mm. it's even it's even more profound because you're seeing all these physical stores, physical people having to figure out how do we do virtual digital services exactly, to yeah. create a better experience for them. I want to shift gears a little bit and just talk about playing. Um, so you're running this enterprise, which is strange for me to speak to you in the sense of I'm usually speaking to people who are either really well-known touring musicians 
or really well-known <laughs> yeah. studio musicians. <laughs> Sometimes they do a bit of both. Yeah. Um, you're you're somewhat neither and somewhat all of that. <laughs> how do you see yourself as a player? How how often do you get to play? Do you focus on that? Because I know what it's like to run an enterprise of your size. And that yeah. can be more than 24 hours a day if you really want it to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I'm as a player, like what? What level are you on player's path, Scott? <laughs> I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm having to be level nine right now. I'm recording a bunch of a bunch of new tunes for for uh, for level nine because what we want to do with it is have specific um, genre-based pathways sure. through there, so people can go through one to nine in rock and one to you know all through. So I'm doing that. So yeah, I, I don't compose them though. By, by the way. <laughs> We've got a really fantastic um, guy on the team called Simon King, who's just the craziest multi-instrumentalist. He, but but he's a drummer. That's wow. his main instrument. So he he's like easily as good as, at me as on bass. He's fantastic on like just crazy on guitar, and he's and his main instrument is drums. So you can just imagine what kind of tunes are coming out of them online. <laughs> it's just, they're almost like a dare. And uh, but me as a player, I think that ultimately. Um, like I'm definitely more jazz. That, like that's where my heart is. That sort of like fusiony jazz. I just really, really love that that style of playing. In terms of playing professionally, I just hardly get to do it anymore, really. Especially over the last few months, because obviously we've had the, the whole COVID thing happen and the whole bottom ends dropped out of the uh, the live market at the minute. But during the day, how much? Are you playing every day? Are there sometimes days go oh, by and you're like, oh my god, no, I can't believe I haven't touched every the day. thing. Hire for the others, keep playing. <laughs> Dude, it's what, I, it's what I do. It's like every time I come in this, like obviously I'm sitting in my home office at the minute. Every t- every morning I'll come in, I'm like, you know, switch the Mac on. I've got the iced coffee. Should I check the email? I'll just play a little bit of bass first. So I've got, you know, just 15, 20 minutes to shed in some stuff. And then, you know, I'll get going. And But yeah, I'm playing every day. That's every great. Day. It's 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 yeah. nice to hear. You, you mentioned the glove and and my story with you, with me in the glove is I started watching these videos, yeah, again, six, seven years ago. And uh, so what's the glove? What's the glove? And I watched the video and I was like, wow, it, it was really interesting. But it's funny how when you see it, it is almost like you think it's almost like a trademarky type thing versus an actual functional use. Yeah. I yeah, thought there might yeah, be something he's yeah. trying to do, which was strange to me because one of the things that I've learned in this journey that I've had with, with amazing players is they really talk about it being in the fingers. I mean, especially someone like yeah. Billy Sheen and Getty Lee, they really focus on, you know, Billy will talk about the lack of the fifth string because he can get, or, or even effects because he feels he can get almost any sound he wants out of those two hands. When you're playing, do you, how does that work for you? Do you feel a bit more distance because of the glove or do you feel that you've made it work for you? How do you see that in terms of what is your tone and your yeah. feel? It's totally there. There's just no difference. Wow. They're re- they're really tight. So they're quite tight on the hands. Like somebody else that uses, uses them from a, for a completely different reason, actually, is a guy called Etienne Mbappe, who's a really fantastic French Cameroon bass player. Just crazy. And the reason that I thought about putting these gloves on, actually, is I was seeing a a neurologist who had a violin patient who was suffering from focal dystonia, dystonia and, and they were wearing latex gloves. And I was like, dude, 
I can't wear latex gloves no. on a gig, man. This is just not going to work. You know, serial killer by night, yeah, bass yeah. player by day. Dexter so bass player. Thought, yeah, exactly. But I thought, well, Etienne, he he plays with these gloves. So that's what gave me the idea, actually. So that's where and that's where that came from. But in terms of the uh, the feel of the instrument, it's just exactly the same. It doesn't, in fact, in a way, it feels because I always play with gloves on, it feels more connected with the glove on wow. almost. It's great. Yeah, it's pretty weird. And by the way, just a side note, you mentioned Billy Sheehan. Um, that that guy is just, Ugh. he's, for, for whatever reason, I don't think that he gets enough credit for how just out there he is. Like the guy, there's not that many people who do something that nobody else does. Like nobody actually plays like Billy Sheehan. The, the, physically, the stuff that he can pull off is just crazy i could spend hours talking about billy because i grew up primarily in the 80s was where i really got my grounding in terms of music and it was hard rock it was like 83 Mm. us festival Mm. and van halen and motley Crue and all that sort of stuff and i think billy gets doesn't get the credit he deserves only because he's in he or is perceived to be in that genre of music that is somewhat sort of whatever but i'll tell you that you know, back in the day, you couldn't get T-shirts for some of these bands and stuff when we were when we were yeah, growing yeah. up. And I actually had uh, an iron pressed like T-shirt of Billy, which was a picture that I ripped out of like a guitar player or something that I yeah. that I when I first started playing. <clears throat> you know, people talk about Jacko, and Jacko was huge in, in my world. I mean, he really, really was. But just age time, I, I got to him a bit later. Got it. Yeah. Billy was one of those people where like in the moment of me discovering the music that made me who I was as a teenager, there was Talis. And then the, the, that first Ava Lee Roth solo album was, was oh, insane. Eatman Eat, Smile. Eatman Smile is, you know, 30 minutes of the greatest music maybe in, in rock. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he is one of those people where I, it's it's unbelievable to see him now practice the way he practices as if he's never played. He practices yeah, he every plays day. Yeah, he plays the same, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah every, and the every video day, yeah. you made about him and his bass was just awesome. Like that was one of the best. If, if nobody has checked that out, the video just talking about his 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 Frank his own Frankenstein bass is yeah, yeah, it's yeah, an amazing yeah. story. It's super cool, isn't it? I actually got this that idea, the whole bass tales idea. I love it. From uh, a friend of mine who um he's really into surfing and he said dude he was like there's like this surf brand and he was like they just go um they go around uh you know, famous surf surfers houses and they look at their surf collection sure. you should do that on base i was like we should do that on base yeah. <laughs> so that's why that's the whole idea behind that was just from you know from this surfing conversation the holy grail of that is to get into getty lee's studio oh really has he, he just got he has races. the collection. Yeah. I mean, I was speaking to Norman Harris of Norman's Rare Guitars, and he was basically telling me oh, yeah. that, that Getty is probably single handedly the individual pushing up the cost of a vintage basses. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was looking for the, uh, I was looking for a Fender Jazz Bass Sunburst for the year I was born. And Norm and his team, because I'd interviewed him a couple of times for NAM and stuff, uh, he was looking out for one for me. And when we first started talking about it, he said, Oh, Getty Lee just bought that exact bass for me. I was like, oh man, brutal. And then I met Getty several months later, had him on the show and I told him the story about the bass and he's like, the bass is awesome. <laughs> I'm like, well, don't oh, no. tell me that. No. Know that. Um, but yeah, we got, we got to get into, into Getty's studio. I'm, I'm also curious, Scott, tell me a bit about 
bringing in other teachers? Because it's something that I noticed. I mean, it's called Scott Space Lessons, but I noticed early on that you're, you've been very open to doing that. When yeah. I watch the videos now, because I'm not in the program, I don't play, but I see a lot of people who I don't know who are sort of uh, tutors or teachers that are amazing players and have great conversations. You do these master classes that just look hands down, phenomenal, super high production, really amazing. Gary Willis is, was, was an example oh, yeah, of one yeah, I saw. Yeah. It's crazy looking. <clears throat> Did you know that you were going to be okay opening it up to that? What is that like? How do other bass players feel about doing lessons on your platform versus doing them on their own? Talk a bit about oh, what it. that's yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, I think very early on, actually, I just thought to myself that I should get more people involved. And that was just from a pure education, like love of education. I love education. I just think it's just such a fascinating um, topic. And, and, and I might not be for everybody. So I just thought it kind of behooves me to actually get all of the best players involved because they really, they just need a voice. They need to, they're, they're such great players that it just, it's my responsibility to put them in contact with the students who will love what they do. So it's just, it was just really like a love of education, a love of base and, and just not nothing other than that really. Um, and then obviously I think, afterwards i was like oh yeah it probably pays off to have everybody teaching on the platform so there was that but it didn't come from that it wasn't like a strategic move or anything like that it was just i really need to get these guys in front of like have you heard of this bass player no oh why is that you know and i was the biggest geek of them all (laughs) yeah but the other side of it too is if someone looks at your stuff and goes like i'd love to do that and they have any form of an audience what they again don't get is the backs the behind the scenes stuff, which is like, it's yeah. not easy to build a course, produce a course, sell a course, get people interested. And when you have the subscriber base that you have or the access to people, that's like a, a big part of actually getting the course into people's hands is that. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and then in terms of getting them to what it's like to work with them, yeah. and, you know, their experience, I think that it's, it's for some, it's really natural if they're, if they've got, it depends on how they have learned. I think that it actually comes down to that and who they are as a human. If they've got an analytical um, edge to them in the way that they think, I think that that's the key piece that makes teaching easier because they've analyzed everything before. Gary Willis is a great example. He's yeah. just like the most analytical human you've ever. It's crazy, you know. Right. So he he just he's just he's got a system for everything. Oh, I've got this system. It just breaks it down. It's easier. I mean, so he's really system orientated, he's really analytical. If somebody's much more creative and doesn't think like that at all, um it's harder for them to to package it up and into a message and communicate it. So what happens is, and this is something that we've been, we're right in the midst of learning this. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kind of through this at the other end and thinking, yeah, we've nailed this. Right, right, right. This is just something that really we talk about a lot. It's when we, when we, when we're working with somebody, we're trying to identify what kind of tutor are they and how are they going to, what's, how they're going to feel comfortable and, and what's going to be best in terms of the, the, the format that they present in for the students and for them. So Gary Willis, very analytical. Uh, another guy that jumps to mind that's quite analytical like that would be Billy Sheehan. You know, everything totally. seems to, he's got a system, he's break, he's broken it down. He just, that's how he's become a great player. Hadrian Farrow is the other end of the spectrum. He doesn't do like, like even though he's probably like one of the most technically adept bass players that have, that's ever existed, he's never practiced technique. 
Whereas Gary Willis has practiced technique to death. He That's how he's worked it. Hadrian, very different. So I can't get, or we can't get somebody like Hadrian and say, okay, can we teach them all of these technical exercises? And he's like, well, I don't really teach like, you know, I've really, I haven't really done that. So it's, it's a challenge for us to then think, okay, how do we, how, how do we be creative with this and come up with a program that's going to suit them, but also the students are going to get a lot from. So, it's almost like that Jacko instructional video where they had exactly Jerry Dumont yeah. there where that made it more instructional because Jerry basically guided him essentially in his different exactly mind that. state at that point, but it works with creative people. I've just got a couple more questions for you. I'm curious about what makes a great teacher. So I think that it actually gets into what I was just talking about there. Being really analytical is is key. You need to be able to analyze how you've learned the instrument. I think that that's really, it's an important thing. Um, and being able to package that up of the, the after you've analyzed, you know, whatever particular thing that you're learning, be able to package that up into a, uh, a widget to pass off to somebody and, and be able to communicate it effectively. So I think that being analytical and being system driven is really helpful. I think that communication is really, really critical as well, being able to communicate that. So if you get somebody that's a, a really, really terrible, like not a, yeah, terribly introverted, they might find it hard to actually, even though it might work for them and they might be able to break things down and analyze and create systems, it might be hard for them to communicate it. So I think that being able to communicate, uh, package that up into, and being able to communicate is really important. And then also just understanding that, seeing it from a student's perspective, like that's key. Being able to understand and evaluate that all students are wildly different and they're going to you know, and one packaging something up for one student in a certain way, it might not work for another student. So well, you it's need crazy to be able because to... normally you're doing it one on one. I mean, yeah. it, it's this massive leap when you're recording it and you have no idea who the student is really on the other side. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. have to be it's, a very different type of communicator and teacher to make what you do work. Yeah, like it's it, it's critically important. So what we're doing actually um, at the minute, we've got an, an, an uh, can't speak an initiative called uh, our core curriculum that we're building out, which will be um, it'll in terms of product design. We're not sure whether it's going to sit inside Players Path or work alongside it, but it's going to be you know similar. It's going to meet people where they're at. It's going to help them evaluate where they are as a player, and it's going to help them learn genres and styles and techniques in a really systematized way. Um, based on levels, right? So we're going to have sort of like a blues pathway, a rock pathway, a country pathway, a metal pathway. We'll also have like a slap pathway, improvisation pathway. So people can really specialize just like they do with books, right? You know, like books are really great. You want to geek out on one specific topic. Well, great. That's what I want. I want to, you know, you don't want to be learning about walking bass and then suddenly somebody's talking about playing chords. <laughs> like, get out of my face. I just want to learn how to play walking bass. So what we want to do is take that i suppose what's you know an amalgamation of the grades and really fantastic books put them together and create a core curriculum of it'll be 20 to 30 learning pathways which will equate to around two to 300 courses pretty heavy (laughs) and the reason why i mention it is because we're actually working with different teachers to write the curriculums 
and and put that whole piece together we've actually got somebody on board that ca- that i uh, i actually got he was um, working for hal leonard and he came onto the team about a year ago and his whole focus is educational design so he works with these artists on educational design now for the core curriculum we are being re- really um just really careful about who we get to write those curriculums because they need to be really dialed into how to write and how to design an educational program so we can, you know, build out, build out this thing. So we've got some really fantastic educators on board and bass players who aren't, you know, all singing, all dancing, famous stars, but in terms of being able to do what we're talking about right now, you know, understand educational design and understand how to write a, an online program that takes people and, and, and package things up into really, you know, systematized, you know, ways of learning. That's what we're doing at the minute. So yeah, that's a, a whole thing. <laughs> so, so who is somebody that you would love to have give a masterclass on Scott's base lessons that you have yet to Who's the, is there one? In Marcus your Miller. Marcus, yeah. Ma- Marcus Miller. I could, I could, there's loads. Uh, there's, there's no, been, I know there's loads, but I'm curious. The, so many, yeah. What the, the one Marcus Miller okay. would be an achievement if I, I could get Marcus I, I, I keep, on board. I, I keep chasing him for this show too. Let me know how it works out for you. Um, <laughs> what about de- a dead player? Who would you love to have as a masterclass who's no longer with us? Oh, Jacko. It's got to be Jacko. Really? Yeah. It's got to be Jacko. Yeah, I'm trying to think of – I think that it's actually, you know, um, there's obviously like a few bass players that are in the later years of their life, you know, as well. And I, I really, yeah. really would love to get some material with those guys as well because I don't want and, – and, and again, this is exactly what I was talking before. Yeah. This isn't from sort of like a strategic standpoint. This is just like – no, you can't. You have to do this while you while you're still here. With this us, is right? the problem with my podcast is I'm trying to build this oral history, and I see yeah. people who have less runway, you know, less time ahead yeah. than they have behind them, and yeah. I find myself chasing these names because I want to have these conversations before it's too yeah, late. Yeah, because they're going to be gone, and then that's and you know gone. nothing will be here for people to learn from, you know, and it's just heartbreaking, really. Yeah, I'm with I hate you. that. So, so last question, which is selfish. Um, I was reading, I was reading your bio and, and trying to find just, you know, again, general research on what do I not know about Scott? Um, and then I noticed that you had a thing about a Montreal Grand Prix gig, which is where I live. And I was like, what? Yeah, well, I didn't make it to the Montreal, the, the actual Grand Prix. Oh, do you really want me to tell this story? I this do, only because whenever I'm researching someone, there's a connection to my city. Like, I think it was Divinity Rocks who did a lot of stuff in Montreal related to, I think she lived here, went to school here. And it was like one of those strange sort of like, I oh, don't hear that. You don't hear that often. So yeah, yeah I want to yeah. hear your story about Montreal okay, Grand Prix. Well, it's, yeah, Montreal Grand Prix. Well, I've got two fantastic uh, drunk stories. This is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way so, to end. <laughs> yeah. So, so there was a gig in in Montreal. Um, I'm trying to remember who the gig was with. Oh, he was a fantastic big band singer called Peter Grant. Really great artist, young artist from the UK. And he'd just been signed by either Sony or Universal, one of the big ones. And they wanted him to sing for whatever reason at the Montreal Grand Prix for the, it was the Ferrari party beforehand the day before where all the, the owners get together and sort of like swank around this big Ferrari in the middle of the ballroom. It was pretty cool. So we flew out there, did the gig, everything was fine. And then obviously afterwards we went for a few beers. 
So some of the um, the guys that were working within the Ferrari team, uh, more on the like on the hospitality front, but like making sure that the owners were where they were supposed to be at the right time, like PA personal assistant types. Some of them were at the bar that we went to. So um, it just you know one thing led to another, and it just ended up this just just a, an absolute scream. You know they were, they had these yards of ale or these huge drinks that were just in these like it was like a two foot long glass it was crazy anyhow the 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 night went on you know there was a lot of drinking that's all i can say (laughs) a lot of drinking and and ultimately i woke up in the morning and with with you know two things had happened number one i'd lost a shoe (laughs) (laughs) and i'd lost and it was my only one (laughs) (laughs) so i was in montreal with one shoe and and that's that's a whole thing and um and then the other thing is that the main like the the main i'm not sure what her title was the main the main um personal assistant for the ferrari team had just got so ill because of this huge drinking extravaganza that with this huge party that we'd had that she hadn't made they actually like she hadn't been up in the morning. There was just like oh, carnage God. was happening. Like people were wondering where she was. It was just crazy. There's people running around in the hotel. Trying, and I was like, oh no, this is this could have been our fault. <laughs> <laughs> I knew she shouldn't have had that 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 last yard of ale or whatever it was. And ultimately, I didn't end up going to the Grand Prix. And 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 actually, the whole band flew back except myself and the singer. We stayed out to make the Grand Prix and we didn't make it. So yeah. everyone has a, a Montreal story. So it's a perfect place to end. Um, at normally at this point in the conversation, I ask people to let you know where they can best connect to you. I'm pretty sure people will know, but let them know where to maybe find out about things like Players Path. Yep. ScottSpaceLessons.com. Just perfect. go check it out. Just go check it out. Or you can find me on YouTube lingering around. following people (laughs) this has been a complete treat Uh, thank you so much for your time um just a huge fan i love i subscribe to the videos and i love just when they pop up and even if it's something i'm not interested in i find myself watching it because i find you extremely captivating uh as a player as an instructor as someone who's marketing so you sort of hit a lot of the uh the the mountaintops (laughs) that i look for in, in uh in in just great stories so so thank you so much for doing it. thanks for also just telling the stories you tell people who love the base should just follow it for that it's great uh, well thanks for having me thanks for having me and, and and just let me say obviously you know hugh i'm a big fan of yours as well so it's been an absolute pleasure bit pleasure being on but also that 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 previous story i was in my early 20s so <laughs> it wasn't last week <laughs> Yeah, don't hold it, hold it hold it against me. But yeah, Mitch, it's been really, really fantastic. It's really been an absolute honor hanging out and talking to you after reading all your books, watching all your YouTube videos. You know, you were instrumental, really, I suppose, it, like, unknowingly in various things that's happened with Scott's Bass Lessons. You know, you had a part in that. So it's that's, been amazing. It's too humbling. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Cheers, dude. Thanks a lot. Uh-huh.